0: to another episode of the West Side Fairy Tales Horror and Lit Club. This belated episode coming to you at the tail end of February 2021. Today we're going to be talking about Cold Heart Canyon, The Lighthouse, and a, a little bit about some stuff I've been watching in the lead up to this. Before we get into that, man, let me just uh, whew, just talk about how tired I am. <laughs> Uh, Those of you who who are not on the Patreon or on the Discord, which you, by the way, you should should absolutely join if you want to support the show and get a little bit more behind-the-scenes information. Um, You might not know that I have just just finished completing a uh, massive, massive project. It was originally supposed to be the next season, season six of the West Side Fairy Tales. It's a, a story called Black City which um, I'm immensely proud of and is kind of a cornerstone epic of the entire ongoing West Side Fairy Tales universe. It's something that really draws in and brings together a lot of the major concepts and uh, it's a bunch of the payoff for many, 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 many things that have been set up. It's got ties to more than half of the entire season's uh, it's the culmination of a lot of major plot lines, and um, I don't know if you'll ever get to see it. <laughs> uh, eventually it'll be released, right? Eventually, eventually, eventually. We decided to pull it from regular release because it's quote-unquote too good for, for just the podcast. And uh, my wife thinks it's got a really good shot at getting published, so we might be trying to sell it that way. Um, just to talk a little bit about it, whet your appetite for a book that you can't. Read things that I can talk about that aren't really spoilers or will ruin any reveals. It takes place way in the future. Way, way, way in the future. Um, at least a thousand years, if not more, from what you wouldn't refer to as probably current date. Uh it is related to stories like the seventh and the green man and a lot of, I mean, deeply related to the 7th, but it, and it's, it, it's just so far in the future. It takes place um, in a post-apocalyptic sort of setting, but, you know, it, post-apocalyptic in the way that all future civilizations are post-apocalyptic, and it's just, man, it's wild. It's 170,000-plus words, um, which I don't even know how to put it in perspective size-wise for you. Uh, it's a little bit shorter i mean i think maybe like a thousand some odd words shorter than the first lord of the rings novel and you know so that's it's it's a fairly fairly big book and i'm i'm immensely proud of it um it's just awesome it started off as a short story that i thought would just be overly long like maybe like forty thousand words to kind of get to the end And then it sort of just tapped me on the shoulder and pointed down a dark hallway that I hadn't walked down yet. And I was just like, all right, let's go for it. And by the end of it, I'd gotten to write the first lines and first appearances of some characters that I have been, I have literally been mulling over for five years now, since before the podcast even started. Really, really like inception of the West Side Fairy Tales universe type people. If I had to compare this novel to anything that you guys might... Understand that's been released. I would say it's very close to um, Stephen King's The Dark Tower series, and and its sort of import and relevance to the the rest of the books at large, and sort of the tone and feel of it as well. And like I said, I'm 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 excited about it, but it, finishing it was such a momentous um, feeling for me. I'd been writing it since March 20th of last year. So it basically, it, it went the entirety of the quarantine. It went through my marriage, <laughs> my actual wedding, and a, a bunch of other major life things, which is just, you know, it's that that's what happens when, when you write a novel. Like, um, the amount of work that goes into writing a book is quite literally unlike anything else, anything else that you can do creatively. And I've done a lot of other creative stuff. It's very solitary. It's not a group effort. Um, You've just got to sit down there and just go for it for, you know, hours upon hours at, at a time. And there's no one really to help you get to the finish, which is, I think what, what gets a lot of people. I see, uh, these writing forums and stuff which i sort of follow but don't participate in because i find they're they're generally full of 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 bad or just utterly lukewarm and obvious advice so i kind of just like check them out every once in a while just to see what people are talking about and then invariably i get like repelled by just the the rank uh tune in atmosphere (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> There's a lot of Dunning Kruger effect going on in most writing circles. It's very odd, and it's not like I'm—I'm I'm not knocking amateur writers, which I guess technically I'm. No, you know what? I'm not. I mean, I, I pay taxes on my fucking writing, so as far as I'm concerned, I'm a professional author. But uh, just the the amateur writing community just suffers from something that other amateur creative communities don't, and I it—it's hard to put in perspective, but I think it's a self-confidence problem as in some people aren't confident enough and other people's other people aren't, uh, they're, they, they're, they're far too confident. And I think it's just because reading a book or even a short story just takes so long. Like, you know, even if you write whatever, a, a 4,000 word short story, that's still going to take you longer to read than listening to a little bit of somebody's music. You know, if somebody's like, I'm, I'm a songwriter or, or even better, I'm a painter. Like you can just look at a painting and be like, all right, well, that, that's that's dog shit or that's good or this could be better and, and this is what you can do. And it's a, lot more, it's a lot more evident and present, the kind of advice that you can get, you know, because it, it, you can even see the change in real time. Whereas in the writing world, a lot of a lot of writing decisions are are subjective, and a lot of people don't even understand the rationale behind decisions because they're like, "Well, I read Stephen King's on writing at at twenty three, and uh, now I'm pretty much you know as good as any anyone that's ever existed," <laughs> because because writing is so writing is so subjective and it's so hard to get through an entire piece that what people end up doing is instead of providing positive or effective feedback they, they they end up sort of wallowing in these uh trite and and unhelpful uh, phrases and, and and repetitive pseudo advice nonsense stupid shit like show don't tell and know your audience like okay all right sweetheart yeah that's no that's not how we do this that's not the world we're in uh it's such basic. It's such basic. <laughs> and just imagine if every time you went on a guitar forum, the only thing you ever heard in, 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 as advice, even if you had a legitimate high-level question, was, well, tone is in your fingers. <laughs> but, man, um, the creation of my my thing that I went through was just, it, it, was, it was stunning. It was a, a huge, a huge amount of work. And the last... Bit of it was this month um, through February, January through February, I wrote the last 60,000 words of it, which is a lot. Um, If I had to put that in perspective, I think 60,000 words is right around the length of the first Harry Potter novel. And I wrote all of that in about two months. But I mean, it's not really like I wrote it. I typed it. You know, I was writing it, quote unquote, the whole time. Which is something I've probably talked on here before, but if you want real if you want real writing advice after I've just impugned all of these uh, all these well meaning charlatans, um, there's a difference between writing quote unquote and typing right so musicians write music in their head all the time if you know somebody that's musically inclined, they're probably going around just irritatingly going over. Small little melodies or, or rhythms. Like, you know, like stuff like that. And if you know one of those person, eventually you're going to hear this phrase Man, I cannot, I need to get home so I can try to play that. That is the difference between writing and typing for a musician. For a painter, it's, you know, like just seeing something out there in the wild and being like, you know, I want to put this and that together. So that's their creative moment. And then there's the actual expressive moment, which is really what the difference is. So, you know, when there's this, there's this one bit of advice, which I see it repeated all the time. And I just absolutely know it's not true because mathematically people would be putting out far, far more content than they do. The only person I think that actually maybe sticks to it is Stephen King himself. And that's the, uh, I sit down every day and I write two pages. I sit down every day and I write 2,000 words, which is four pages-ish. And I just, it just, no, that's, that's not good advice. It's just bad advice for anybody. Because I think there's a, there's a difference between writing and like everything else and that you can't really practice writing the way that you can practice, you know, musical scales on a keyboard or... Um, just do anatomy drawings. If you're an artist, like a, like a, a you know a, a line artist, typing is typing is the expressive skill. You know what I'm saying. So anybody can use a keyboard. You know, I, I, I was I'm as good. Well, I'm probably actually way better at typing now as an adult. But I, I can't really clarify the difference of my ability to use a keyboard now versus when I was um, 14 or so. You know, I just, I type. Once you learn how to type, you know how to type. It's not, it's not rocket science. It's not particularly difficult. So that's like the expressive action of writing, basically. Really putting the words on the pages, but that's kind of like a, you know, that's the intermediate era, area. Whereas if you're if you're somebody literally using a keyboard, like a pianist, you, you have to know what every little key does. And it takes a long time to get your fingers... To go exactly where they need to go and to make the, the appropriate shapes for, you know, a C major chord or a B sharp minor. And I know how to play those chords now I've been practicing. <laughs> but there, there is nothing really like that in writing because writing is just its own bizarre thing. Narrative construction is really what writing is. Can I make a story start to finish? Can I dream up a good scene? Do I know how characters work? which makes it extremely difficult to do because there's no real good way to practice other than by making short stories and and really by reading. But if you just sit down every day and you just type whatever the fuck comes to mind, eventually you're going to get blown out because you're not spending enough time making the thing before expressing the thing because it's not the same as noodling around on a guitar It can be, but the guitar is always going to play the right kind of notes. You know what I mean? You can always kind of go back to something. And if you repeat yourself in music, that's good. If you repeat yourself and story creation, people get really, really upset with you. You know, you can't tell the same story twice, but everybody always wants you to play the same song over and over again. So there's also the risk of, you know, writing a good story when you're not ready and ruining it, which is a, it's a thing. So for me, I write constantly in my head. I, I think up the stories. I, I re-dream it over. I try to make connections. And so I'm always scribbling inside my brain. And then when it comes time to put it down on paper, I put it down on paper. Maybe that doesn't work for everybody. But I write, if I did it, so if I'm just even thinking the mathematics on it, I think I did it, and I wrote right around a ballpark of 15,000 words a month. And uh, I'm not going to do the, the subdivided math of that. So obviously, though, that's not 2,000 words a day. It's not even fucking close. But I still put out a 170,000-word novel. How, what's the difference there? And, and, and why are all of these people that say they do this not churning out Literally, whatever it is, two times three, 600,000 some odd words, 700,000 plus words a year. Because it's fucking impossible. You don't have that much going on. And it's, it's, it's a long, it's a lot of time to sit down. Two hours every day alone, not around people, not, not experiencing anything, not taking anything in. You're never going to create anything of value. Because you're going to sit there all day in your head Just fucking not accomplishing anything. It's good to sit down and write something maybe if you want to just type, to practice typing, that's good. If you're English as a second language person, or whatever your second language is, if you're Spanish as a second language, German as a second language, Japanese, then it's probably good to sit down and practice the language every day. But you can do that same thing through reading much more effectively, in my opinion. And not just reading like fiction. Just like, read anything. I spend most of my days, every day, reading constantly. I just read shit. I find Wikipedia articles on obscure buildings lost in the fucking Swedish highlands with ridiculously long 15-syllable names, and I just read about them. I read about flesh-eating bacteria and... The diet of worms, which is not, has nothing to do with food. It's a, it was a, a meeting of a bunch of people in a place called Worms that I find eminently fascinating because it, it, it set up religious policy in Bohemia, I think, for like 400 years. I didn't read it that closely. I can't remember that much. Somebody, there's got to be some one person out there listening to this just because my audience has gotten big enough that's like, okay, that's not, that's not what the diet of worms was, Tyler. Thank you very much. But that's how, you, that's how you get more creative. Take stuff in and then put stuff out, right? Um, it, that, would, that would be just terrible, terrible advice because of the 15,000 words per month, I didn't write every month. I actually couldn't write most of the months or at least probably about a little less than half of all of the months in that um, 11-month cycle because my wedding took up basically three months where I had no productivity And then there was another month or so in there where I was doing nothing but working on this uh, season. You know, like, just because I finished writing Scars in Time doesn't mean that that first draft is the the good draft. I think I spent almost all of April, I believe, April or May, um, rereading through Scars in Time and painstakingly rewriting sections, tightening this, Strapping that back down, pulling this this way, pulling that this way, eliminating this, restructuring that to make sure everything was good, start to finish again. And, you know, so that, that takes up time. And ultimately, I, I didn't write for another few months. Other, But, you know, I was writing the whole time, but I was only typing for the amount of time it took me to get the story onto the page. And those big gaps help a lot. Because you do get stuck. And I think, like, I see this, you know, the, the old trope is writer's block. And that writer's block isn't real in, in the sense that you think it's real. Where it's like, I'm just waiting for inspiration to figure this out. And there's no way I could ever write anything. It just doesn't make any sense to me. And I think what it is, is there's probably people who live on, on deadlines and have nothing, nothing, going for them creatively yet trying to force something into existence it's bizarre it's weird to think that to have an expectation of a writer to sit down and and create a finished product because you know when you are a writer you are creating a finished product at the get-go it's not like you know music or something where you can kind of just and you, you can just kind of like play riffs over and over again or practice you're actually just making a fucking story, you know, and you get the one chance to tell that story. I would say painting is probably pretty close, but even painters do, you know, they revisit paintings until they get to the to the right spot. And you can make the arguments for first and second drafts, but you know, no one's no one starts out writing a story with like just basically like I don't give a shit about this. <laughs> I'm just going to fuck around. You can. This isn't all written set in stone. It's it's just anytime you start talking about Anything artistic, If you, if you, you, well, the second you create a hard rule, my brain immediately just collapses back on itself. It's like, well, this is all the times that you broke that rule, Tyler. It doesn't make any fucking sense. Why are you saying this? But um, ultimately, yeah, I, I think that's a product of people being forced to try to create an end product when they don't have anything ready to say. It's like, maybe you do. Sometimes you can just sit down and be like, bang. I had that moment this uh, This summer, where I sat down, I actually, and I haven't released this story yet, it's a short story. I was uh, watch, looking at a thread on Twitter where people were kissing Stephen King's ass too much. I, mean, I love Stephen King. but I can criticize him, which is how I think I know I actually do like him and respect him as a creator. Like I can differentiate between his quality work and his non-quality work where. It seems like a lot of these like, so-called book reviewers and horror reviewers that are on, on, on these, in, in these internet spaces literally cannot pull their heads out of his ass for like five minutes to give a good critical rundown of his stuff. Like, it, it blows my mind. Like, this is just the best thing he's ever written. This is the best thing he's ever written. Like, no, no, like, f- kid, shut the fuck up. Needful things exists, misery exists. It it did not go anywhere. Christine did not get stale with time. It is still problematic and weird and somehow extremely magnetically drawing. Just because Stephen King put a book out and it has his fucking name on it does not make it gold. And it certainly is not the best, scariest thing he's ever fucking written. And it's almost never true. It's the point you cannot trust horror critics it's it's one of the reasons I even started doing horror reviews on the side it's it blows my fucking mind <laughs> but um i was i was watching people's reaction to it and i came to the conclusion that they don't understand what a stephen king story is like some people just didn't they don't quite get it because they were talking about all this stuff you know uh, when when if you haven't ever been to college Taking taking a, a, a lit course in college and just watch just watch the gentle and practiced art of of, of blowing smoke up somebody's ass. Literarily, uh, it, it is it is an art form in and of itself that has been mastered by academics and pseudoscience or pseudo scientific critics of, of art for generations now. But they they, they I was watching people just go so deep. Full full bore colonoscopy into Stephen King, and just being like, well, he really understands just like the uh, the modern grotesqueries of of blah blah, and it, it just million dollar words. I'm not even gonna. I can't remember half of it because it was so bullshit. And I was just like, dude, that's not it. Here's how you write a Stephen King any Stephen King story. Go for a walk, find something, anything. It doesn't matter what it is. It could be a concept. It could be an item on the ground. It could be a specific kind of person. Okay, now that person, thing, whatever, starts killing stuff, and none of that stuff expected it. That is how you write a Stephen King story. That is it. That is the beginning and end of all Stephen King story conflicts. It is the seed from which everything sprouts. I'm not saying they're not more complex than that, But that is how you write a Stephen King story. And then he's got certain little things, you know, his little little nuances and stuff. But if you look at basically any Stephen King story, especially the best ones, that is what it is. What if your dad started killing people? The Shining. (laughs) I guess that's, I haven't read that book yet, but I have seen the movie. What if a clown or your nightmares started killing people? It. What if a car started killing people? Christine, what if a pair of chattery teeth started killing people? The chattery teeth. Uh, What if a laundry machine, a laundry dry cleaning machine, started killing people? The mangler. (laughs) There's, There's very few deviations from it. The other ones are somebody gets a power. And then they have to deal with it. So you got like fire starter in the dead zone and stuff. But, but generally, it's what if thing start to kill people? And I love it. I don't, I don't mind that at all. That shit's fucking fire to me. That is 10 out of 10 premise. So in any case, I was walking around and I was like, I just want to do it. I'm going to take my dog for a walk. And if I whatever I find, whatever I find out there, I have to pick something. I am going to write about it and I'm going to make it kill people, and I'm going to write a Stephen King story. And it was surprisingly therapeutic because I was kind of like just jammed up and doing a bunch of different stuff. I, was, I had a huge project in my house that I was doing, fucking building walls and knocking walls down and stuff. So I was kind of like physically exhausted and like mentally underserved. And while I was walking around outside, and this is like maybe a minor spoiler, but not really. If you if you remember this um. Uh, if you remember this HLC, whenever this story comes out, it'll, it'll probably won't be even for maybe a few years. Uh, eventually you find it. Okay. So what if, and I was walking around, I, I swear to God, I, <laughs> I, I passed a house that somebody had been unloading some of their old shit from. And there was a credenza sitting on the side of the road and it was just beat up. Right. And um, on top of it. It said free, you know, somebody put like a little piece of paper on it it said free And in my head while I'm walking my dog, I was like wouldn't it be I was like (laughs) What what if that sign was a little bit more accurate and just said don't want And then I was just like, oh, there it is Imagine if that thing just had don't want carved into the top of it And then story I just went home, I wrote whatever 15, 17,000 words And so there it is Typed out Blah, blah um, but if I if I had been like okay, I'm not going to take my dog for a walk. I'm just going to sit down and I'm going to type two thousand words. Doesn't matter about what. I'm just going to sit down and start typing. I guarantee you, I would get like two hundred fucking words and be like, uh, uh, I'm going to play Tarkov. I'm done. I'm going to go do something else. That uh, that that's just that is the that is the feel. That's what that's what writing really is to me. I, I feel like. A better bit of advice to kind of round out this point and then maybe get into the program as a whole is to, if you want to be a writer, once a week, maybe twice a month, right? Set yourself to a schedule, twice a month, go out, find thing, write about thing. Doesn't matter what it is. If I was a a creative writing teacher, this is what I would tell people to do. And I think some creative writing teachers do do this. Go out, find a thing, write a story about it. Doesn't matter what it is. Just the second something piques your interest, find it, write about it. Because I'll tell you what, artists, painters do this all the fucking time. Musicians do this too. It's why most of them have terrible relationships is because that's how they make their music. You know, you gotta go and date psychos and then break up with them and then you can be, and then you can be Fleetwood Mac. <laughs> I'm just kidding, musicians, God bless your hearts. But that will get you much deeper into understanding yourself creatively and understanding what you want to do and what you don't want to do than just sitting down and typing. It's just such stupid fucking advice. and It's stupid because it's dangerous. Because it will make you potentially not love writing even if you would be good at it. Because that sounds, if, if you've, ever had homework like homework. I didn't like practicing instrument. I love, I love music. I love making it. I'm not like fucking good or whatever. I know a lot of you guys like the intro music to the West Side Fairy Tales, make all the music, but a lot of that's pretty simple stuff. And you know, it's not, I'm not, I'm not especially talented. People that actually know what they're doing could see my stuff and see all the gaps and be like, well, this is how you make that better which is acceptable to me, I'm fine with that. But when I was a kid, you know, I hated practicing because it was all just scales and it was this boring, repetitive, two hours every day, you gotta up and down, 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 up and down. Back and forth through the scales, which is effective, but like, it's not everything. you know what I'm saying that 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 won't really get you where you need to go to be a musician. It'll get you maybe till you know being a a good trumpet trumpeter, you know, an instrumentalist of some sort, being able to just look at any chart and be able to play it, start to finish is, is a it's a legitimate skill. but it is a skill it's an, it's an like an artisan skill. it's not. The the meat behind it Isn't there You can still develop it It doesn't mean that You know Somebody that goes And sits down at a typewriter And types 2,000 words every day Isn't going to get better At writing I mean like literally You have You have to improve Your skills To some degree If you're going to do that And maybe there's somebody Who is just Blowing up Doing that You know what I mean They're like really Finding themselves But in general I find I believe that that's probably not the best way to grow as an artist. Like do a little bit of that, you know, especially if you need to get better at typing. And if you're a musician, yeah, practice your scales. I practice my skills all the time, but I also just kind of like sit down and jam, you know, or I, I come up with something in my head and I, I just try to play it and try to work it out and figure it out and do stuff like that, which, you know, more than likely most music teachers these days will tell you how to do. Like i My complaints about my musical education are because I I got most of it at a public school, and it was just like, all right, pay for lessons on your own time. Otherwise, this is how you learn how to play an instrument, and they give you a thing, and it's just you go start back to front. If you can start at the front of the book where the one note at a time is, and then you can get to the back of the book where the many notes at a time is and play all of it, then you are now a beginner, and then you can do the intermediate book, <laughs> and that's what it is. But man, yeah. If um, if 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 I had anything to say, don't ever listen. Don't ever listen to that bit of writing advice. Create create at your own pace, and don't get discouraged if you can't create at the pace that others set. You know, I gave up. I gave up on a lot of stories. There's a lot of fucking half finished shit. A lot of me just standing like, yeah, oh, I'm not worthy. I can't do it. I had to work up to writing all of these fucking words in a year. If you're an amateur writer out there and you're trying to figure out how to do this, I had to work up to that over literal decades of my life. First time I ever tried to write a story was when I was fucking... 13 years old, and absolute piece of shit. I still have it. I still have it. I can look back on it sometimes if I want to just die. And I, <laughs> I just hurt. I, I look at it and I, my whole insides just go <sighs> cringe. But, you know, it was there and I, I, I gave up on it. And I think it took me like three weeks to write eight pages. And I wrote longhand with a fucking G2 gel pen. Lord almighty, my hands, my hands were uh, black is black is fresh oil from, from the mother earth It's disgusting. But you know, now that I have abandoned writing in longhand, like a 17th century, whatever the fuck <laughs> I, can, uh, I can, I can, I can kind of crack stuff out and you know, I, I write, I write really long stuff and sorry for this half hour long plus, uh, deviation from the main topics of this but that is that is what i have been uh what i have been going through man and i I finished it and i'm done that said i guess we're kind of at the halfway point of the program um let me just take a pause here to say that if you enjoy this program if you don't tell me let me know what do you want me to talk about is there something that you want to hear here in the west side fairy tales horror and lit club it is after all a club And you are a member, just by listening to this, you are now counted amongst the golden and godly ranks of the West Side Fairy Tales Horror and Lit Club. So if there's something you want me to talk about, there's something you think I should look at, listen to, experience that you believe would improve the quality of the program, your own listening experience, or it's just something that you're, you're crushingly, crushingly interested in, that you want me to look over, hit me up, at gmail.com. The That's my, my direct line. That's, that's the email address. It always goes straight to me. I read everything. It takes me like a week or so to respond to people, but I will respond to you. So go ahead, hit me up and, and, and tell me you hate the program, you love it. Argue with me, agree with me, anything you want. If you want to have a little less... Uh, direct communication but still talk somewhere where I'll see it consider joining our discord there's going to be an invite link to that in this episode if you're if you're listening to this and it's been like you know a few months few years and that's expired just search us out man it's not hard to find it's just the west side fairy tales horror and lit club discord server hunt around for it you'll find your way in everybody's in there already talking about scars and time as it's progressing there's a lot of fascinating Fascinating um, expectations for this season that I hope are not are not completely obliterated when more and more of the plot come along. But people are speculating; they are they are they are, they are arguing amongst themselves very politely as to what they think is going to happen, and they're correcting each other and reminding each other of this and that little fact. And it's it's very flattering to see everybody uh, having conversations about it. But yeah, the Discord is great. We also are on Facebook, Westside Fairy Tales Horror and Lit Club. There. If you just want to send me a message, you can message the the Facebook. You can message me or tweet me at WS Tales, and we're on Instagram too. My Instagram is mostly pictures of of my my animals, my my rabbits, and my dog, and the food that I make because we are under quarantine and I'm not allowed to walk around Louisville and take pictures of weird, creepy shit that litters this entire. Fucking state because you know I, I don't want to get anybody sick and uh, And and have them kill their grandparents So unfortunately Less of that but maybe you know soon That will return we're also on reddit I need to put more stuff on reddit I'm very lazy about it because I'm dumb But I'm going to get back to it And uh, and yeah that's pretty much it If you want to support this program if you want to give us a few dollars Get early access to episodes Get access to really cool stuff That I make on the side uh, If you're following scars on time and you want to know a little bit more about Gun Cotton? Um, there's there's maps. I made a map of it, a fully colored, labeled map of the town of Gun Cotton. It's on the Patreon. It's accessible. The full size version is on the Patreon. It's accessible to everybody. I'm gonna be posting it on social media later, but I'm gonna post a a smaller, more lossy JPEG version that's not as nice, so that the um, the people on the Patreon can still have that good value. It's like a 32 megabyte full-size map. It's big enough that you could probably print a whole poster of it and put it up on your wall. Don't necessarily do that because I might be doing it myself and selling them. <laughs> um, but, yeah, go ahead. Check us out. Patreon.com slash Westside Fairy Tales. Check it out. Links in the link tree in the description. So um, today's random horror recommendation, I'm actually gonna change it from what I first wanted to do to um, something else that I saw recently that I like. And I don't really know if it's horror. It's pretty horrifying. And it is the movie, The Frozen Ground, a 2013 American thriller film written and directed by Scott Walker, who I've, I, don't know, I don't know who Scott Walker is, but his name sounds extremely familiar. But more importantly, this film is starring Nicholas... Uh, and I don't know if this is his legal middle name, but I'm going to assume it is Nicholas motherfucking Cage, and uh, also John Cusack, Vanessa Hudgens, Catherine Lanasa, my girl, Ronna Mitchell, who I'm I'm finding now, like seven years after she's been in anything major, that I am deeply, deeply in love with and wish she just got so much more uh, respect as an actress. And also, (laughs) in a role for the ages, Curtis... 50 Cent Jackson. (laughs) So this movie is based on a a real-life serial killer. His name is Robert Hansen, who I don't know too much about. I know I have a lot of true crime people in my audience. You probably all know tons about him. But this is a uh, made, um, uh, based on a true story type detective, not procedural... The thing about the frozen ground um, is that it follows the most bizarre, alternative narrative pathing. It doesn't quite make sense, and you can tell that it's one of those things where the reality of the situation bumped up with standard Hollywood, uh, like plot requirements. You know, like we need these beats. This is the only way you're allowed to make a movie in Hollywood, which is never actually true. It's just there's a lot of untalented screenwriters in Hollywood. They only have the one trick up their sleeve and if they deviate from it, their lack of talent starts showing and they completely fall apart at the seams. So in adapting um, this, this killer's, basically one of his, his last crimes at the end of his career before he was arrested, they made a lot of... Um, Directorial decisions that only only increase my enjoyment of this film. This film has made me create in my head what I call the Nicholas Scale Beer Nicholas Cage Beer Scale of Quality, which the in which the highest score is zero to five, <laughs> as in I need zero beers to enjoy this Nicholas Cage film. And then you have one, two beers, three, maybe five beers to enjoy. It's just how much, how much alcohol do you need to ingest before you really unlock the full potential of the film. And I think Frozen Ground unlocks at a two. He's not full Nicolas Cage in this. If you're expecting Vampire's Kiss level Nicolas Cage, which is a zero, you can watch Vampire's Kiss stone sober and just, just let it wash over you. <laughs> and And just be crying laughing the whole time. If you don't know what I'm talking about, just look up Vampire's Kiss uh, compilation on YouTube and you will be unable to not watch that film the next time you have a chance to. In Frozen Ground, Nicolas Cage is the uh, pseudo main character. I would say there's really three um, deuteragonists. Two, there's there's two deuteragonists and an antagonist. Yeah, I think that's how you're supposed to say that. I know how to write these things, but the academic rules for description just completely, completely fucking elude me. I, I have no idea what the fuck they, they mean. But in this, Nicholas Cage is a Alaskan state trooper. I believe he is a member of the Alaskan Board of or Department of Investigation, which is basically every state has a version of an FBI. So it's the whatever state Bureau of Investigation or Division of Investigation or Investigative Division. It changes its names, it changes its compositions, but generally, and this is just a for you aspiring true crime people out there, this is something you should keep in mind because these are people you're going to be asking for interviews or records because you'll you'll see that it was like oh he work he's sheriff whatever for the sheriff's department but they say he don't he doesn't work here he works for the state it's because detectives usually from all across the state are pulled into a resource pool which is the bureau of investigation in some states the entire bureau of Invest- investigation is its own entity and it only has you know state detectives or whatever and uh, in other ones it's drawn from detectives from various city and county investigative divisions so you know the the, the, whatever jefferson county sheriffs and the louisville city louisville metro police departments detectives will work at at the kentucky uh, bureau of investigation or investigative division whatever it is they all have different makeups but generally they all have they generally they all have a, a universal investigative division and what that does is it just kind of uh, coalesces the entire investigative body of the state in a way that makes information sharing much more prevalent and, and, and readily accessible, What you actually see on display in frozen ground. You see a lot of things that I can really tell that somebody had to come up against just the existence of how the police investigative body fails people especially especially women and especially people of color and indigenous women and indigenous people like flat out the film starts with uh, Vanessa Hudgens character who is a 16 I think year old prostitute who is you know living on the street she's doing the drugs a, a john has picked her up and after offering her 200 dollars for a blow job which is a fucking monstrous amount if you know anything about prices for blowjobs and shit on the street and this is supposed to take place in the 1980s so that's like asking like for a grand for a blowjob which is if you uh it's a it's it's way too much i don't i'm not saying that because I'm, i'm i'm familiar with prostitute prices and i'm trying to show off uh obviously it's too much so it's extremely enticing this guy probably doesn't buy a lot of prostitutes, and he's trying to seem, you know, whatever. It's actually a good detail. I digress. So this guy chains her to something in his basement, I think, beats the shit out of her, sexually assaults her, and is getting ready to put her on a plane and fly her somewhere, his own personal plane. And then she breaks out and uh, runs away and goes to the police. She gets a rape kit done at the hospital, and you're like, okay, it's all pretty standard and then you get to see you get to see some shit you don't see enough in in movies and i think you need to see it more because it is very very fucking prevalent and that is a cop absolutely dismissing her outright because she's a prostitute a that she could even be raped b that she would even be telling the truth if she was and c that there would be anything they could do about it even if any of that happened. They actually, the police officer takes a girl from the fucking rape, the rape crisis center or whatever the fuck in the hospital, like away from them, isolates her in a room with himself. A a large screaming man puts her in a, in a fucking interrogation cell and then proceeds to yell at her about what she was doing wrong. That led to a situation where, where she, she was probably fucking up and got her and just absolutely refusing to hear her side of the story like what kind of drugs were you on did you offer him drugs that sort of shit and if you think that doesn't happen in america every fucking day you are out of your mind it is it is a, a story that is as common as the stones you walk on if you if you end up talking to people in rape crisis centers you know it like i had to talk to a bunch of women's um Basically, it's a women's shelter for homeless or drug-addicted women to basically get away from bad situations. So if you're, if you're going to wind up on the streets, they would take you in. And this is up in North Dakota. And uh, they do a lot of other sorts of outreach. Basically, the, the basic premise of their entire thing is they have an office right that women can get to. And then from that office, the women are taken somewhere that the men that are probably stalking them can't get to them because there is no, no one else can be trusted to do that, especially, and I mean, capital E, especially the police. And they told me that straight up. They're like, yeah, there's some good cops. And, you know, some of them are well-meaning and, you know, they're not actively, actively breaking the law when they interact with these women, but they cause them so much pain and so much trauma that it's usually better to not, have them interact with police officers at all. And a lot of cops, there's a, there's a a big chunk of cops that get it right. And they're, they're starting to come around to it. But man, you get out, you get outside of, you know, a lot of places and you get into, you know, good old boy police departments and you can have, you can have cops that are just actively like, well, what did he, what, what did you do to upset him that he would do something like this? Cause I know the guy, or, or I've I've heard of him. He's an upstanding member of, of of the of society, which is what this cop does to to her because they know that the guy that she's accusing uh, owns a bakery or something. He's a business owner and 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 well respected in the community. He's a church guy, and this is John Cusack's character who's a killer. His case file gets passed to Nicolas Cage at some point, and Nick Cage is just ultimate and literally. I have two weeks left on the force. What, I can't be doing this. I'm about to go. I think he's about to be a, a security guard or a sec, head of security at like a lumber mill or something, which I guess is like a lot of money compared to being a state trooper. And um, him and his him and his wife are getting ready to make that gigantic change in their lives. And he uh, takes it on and then he lo- takes like three seconds looking at the file and he's like, well, where's this girl? She's She's clearly a witness. And he makes the connection. Like, this is just... This, this guy fits the profile for this killer that we've been sort of thinking exists, and there's a serial it, It's that whole basic thing you've seen it in a million movies. And they're like, oh, well, I don't know if that could be true. He's like, well, if it's not true, then it's not true. But if it is, we're letting a killer get away with it. I'm like, fuck yeah, Nicolas Cage, yes. So he 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 winds up for with Vanessa Hudgens, kind of as a uh, they're like an not even like an unlikely duo. Although I think. I think somebody wanted to do that in the movie and you can see the sort of traces of that. You know, the I'll teach you, you teach me. We both grow a little as a person, kind of uh, hokey Hollywood shit. The the traces of that are there, but I think a lot of it got scrubbed away. (laughs) Nick Cage uh, ends up you know, helping her to a degree. She's very unhelpful. Vanessa Hudgens' character is, she's constantly running away from him and stuff. And, and let me give a, a special shout out to Radha Mitchell, who is in the crazies. She's in Silent Hill. Like, I'm just seeing more and more of her as I'm looking back at a bunch of these movies that are like 2007 to like 2013, when this is coming out. Like, Radha Mitchell's just like in there and she's just like that quintessential short haired blonde lady that's in films, and she's a really good actress, she really is, she's, she's got it, she has, a, she has a sense for the scene, she has a presence, but it's just like old Hollywood, you know what I mean? She, just, she was just not allowed to be anything other than like a guy's wife in most of these but she was, she was uh, Detective Sybil, Sybil Shepherd, I believe in, uh, in the Silent Hill movie, which is cool also, short blonde hair, that's like Sybil's notable trait other than that she's like a cop and lost in silent hill the character she has to play in this is the nagging considerably younger than him wife of Nicolas cage and she is clearly in pain playing this role because i feel like she knows like no decent woman in their right mind would do any of the shit that she's doing during this. So Nicolas Cage is, uh, all right, he's got a few weeks left. They're getting ready to sell their house. But that's basically it. There's no real, there's no real uh, inconvenience to them. Nick Cage, because he's got to keep this, you know, drug addicted prostitute girl who kind of just wants to do her own shit off the street long enough to survive to testify against this prolific serial killer. He's like, all right, what I'll do is I'll bring her back to my house and you can stay there for a little while. We have a guest bedroom, which is fine. Like they've got their own kids. Okay, whatever. I don't think that this girl is going to go around like just forcing methamphetamine on these children. And he's like, I'll just leave her in this bedroom. She's just got to stay here for like a week, just like a week. And, and, and Roda Mitchell's character just goes off on him at an eleven, and it's it's so clearly just one of those like, okay, so what we're gonna do here is um create additional plot problems <laughs> every every inconvenient plot problem is caused by a lady in this a, a woman of some degree just just saying just saying um the just pure fucking." Bile that comes out of an uh, out of Rhoda Mitchell's mouth. She just is just shitting on this kid so hard. She's a drug addict. She's a prostitute. You can't bring that kind of person in here around here. Clearly, just screaming at the top of their her lungs in the kitchen, and it's like, could you not have gone outside? Like, she's still a guest. <laughs> Who screams like that about a sixteen year old rape victim? Like, basically no woman on Earth that I know and respect. There's, there's definitely ladies, you know, out there. Uh, Lauren Brobert is a, is a human being that exists. But uh, I, I just couldn't imagine, you know, and you can kind of just see Rada Mitchell being like, all right, I'm earning my fucking paycheck. I'm going to act my fucking heart out, and I'm going to play this character, but this character's motivations... And way of going about them make no fucking sense at all. She just comes off as the biggest, most self-absorbed bitch on earth. And I just, I just want to say shout out Rada Mitchell. God bless you. You deserve better in your entire career as far as I know. I hope you're not actually like a bad person or something and you got necessarily canceled. <laughs> she got wasted on Hollywood, man she really did but that's that's just noticeable because like she's she's not even a top build in it even though i think she's a bigger name than 50 cent but you know 50 cents 50 fucking cent so he uh or she she's she's that character and she's she's in and out whatever the plot continues right Uh, and actually this leads me into my next favorite character in this Uh, vanessa hudgens runs away she leaves because um, Rada Mitchell's character gets extremely upset. <laughs> and she starts going back to her life on the streets, and she runs into her pimp, who is played by legendary character actor, human chameleon, really, Curtis 50 Cent Jackson. <laughs> who he shows up, and I swear to God, me and my wife started crying laughing when we saw him. He looks so fucking absurd. And I don't know really what it is. First off, he's lost a lot of weight since like the mid 2000s when he was just a, like just jacked out of his mind. If you're younger and you don't know who 50 Cent is or you just weren't all about the fucking club rap scene back in the day, uh, 50 Cent, like his, he was known for being shot a bunch and being jacked as fuck. Like, that was 50 Cent's entire image. He was clearly on the juice, ripped to the gills, and he got shot a bunch. And then he had, he had a few songs that were, like, pretty okay. Then to the candy shop. He had, had kind of, like, that way of talking. And, and, and it, was, it, was, it was fine while it lasted. He shows up in this. And he's still 50 Cent, but he's skinnier like considerably skinnier than the familiar image of 50 cent I have in my mind, which is him on like the cover of the massacre LP. And he's got, I don't know if it's real because it's kind of pushed back to the back of his head, but it's this like shoulder length, shiny as fuck relaxed hair that if it's really his God bless, but it looks like a fucking wig (laughs) from from like a 1970s sci-fi movie his pimp outfit is ridiculous and from the second he's on screen if he's not fucking with vanessa hudgens he's just being bullied they just bully him the whole time he is the least you cannot take him seriously at all he gets pushed around he gets knocked down by people and he's only got one facial expression it's this mild surprise or kind of mild consternation. And and if it's if he got if he got shot in the face, I think maybe that might explain his like the oddity of his facial expression. He's always got his teeth showing. And his like like his teeth are resting on his bottom lip. And and it, it kind of limits the overall expressiveness of his face. It's like your mouth is half your face. So even if your eyes are doing stuff. If your mouth is kind of saying the same every time you talk, it really limits your ability to emote. I, I'm not. I'm not really talking out of my ass here. I think that's. I think that's pretty. Pretty basic in the acting circle. And somehow all of these things coalesce into making him so fucking hapless and hilarious. He's the Falstaff of this of this fucking beacon of purity that is frozen ground. He's just absolutely absurd and emasculated. Which, And I feel bad because he's the only black guy on the cast, I think, yeah, that has any speaking roles. And they're in Anchorage, Alaska, so there should be like, you know, indigenous people. There should be all kinds of motherfuckers. Like White people are not incumbent to Alaska. There's all kinds of motherfuckers up there. But in this, it's just this is a mostly white cast. I think Vanessa Hudgens is supposed to be a, 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 a woman of color, a girl of color. Um, I, I don't I don't know if she is in real life. Uh, Vanessa Hudgens sounds she 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 looks and she looks like a white girl to me, but she does very awkwardly, very very awkwardly uh, and uncomfortably use the n, uh, uncomfortably uses the n word once in in this and it was it's notorious it's very obvious because it's the only time anybody says the n-word and it's in the middle of a conversation with nicholas cage and it was it was badly delivered enough that me and my my wife looked at each other we're like oh was she she allowed to was she supposed to do that that was that was that was weird how you said that like it was the first time in your life and there was people staring you staring at you on set when you delivered it Oh whoops! I just hit my I just hit the uh, wall of my recording studio. But um, yeah, Fifty Cent shows up and he's just he's just wonderful. I feel so bad for him the whole time. It's he wanted to be an actor so bad. He probably fought for that role and they were like, you know what? We this is just a bucket of people with careers that used to be much much larger. Let's put them all in this bucket. Just spin it around. The movie ends about how you'd expect. I won't get into too much of it. I won't ruin any of the big reveals. And I swear to God, aside from, aside from 50 Curtis fucking 50 Cent Jackson, I haven't really ruined anything. And, you know, maybe mileage will vary and you'll he'll show up and you'll be like, no, he looks like a reasonable pimp. <laughs> and maybe you won't. But uh, when we were watching it, I was, I was fucking dying. And I gotta, is this. Okay, so Scott Walker is just a director. I was thinking for a second that maybe he's the Scott Walker from The Fast and the Furious. No, that's Paul Walker, right? So no, never mind. I don't know. His, uh, his directory, I clicked on it, doesn't go anywhere. So I think this might be the last movie he ever made. But as uh, parting shots to Frozen Ground. It's, it's fun. It's a good serial killer movie and I haven't seen um, serial killer movies recently. I feel like they don't make them anymore. Uh, or at least they're 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 kind of falling off. There used to be one good seven rip off every every couple years or so, and I just haven't seen one of those. I, I feel like maybe maybe that that's just a classier audience than zombies. And the zombie people, when they couldn't let go, the serial killer people let go. They're like, all right, we need to refresh these lands. The soil the soil is being exhausted. <laughs> it's time to grow pulse crops here. We're gonna have we're gonna make art house movies for a while, and then we'll get back to Stephen. We'll get back to serial killer shit. But this is a this is a serial killer shit movie. It hits all the good serial killer shit beats. Well, most all of them. He doesn't he doesn't have a, a few of the things that are my favorite deals. But because it's based on a true story, I'll let it go. And um, it's it's really just amazing. John Cusack is a wonderful a wonderful sociopath. He really does work out the performance by Nicolas cage is a two beer cage performance uh perfectly perfectly presentable but i feel like his weird energy is like radiation and it does infest any movie that he's in and it it really i think i think 50 cent was really really susceptible to it (laughs) i could almost imagine being behind the set on this film and seeing like nick cage walking up to 50 cent and be like Oh hey, 50 Cent. I love your I love your music. You're 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 a, a really stunning rapper. And 50 Cent's like, oh hey, man, yeah. And then he's like trying to be a real actor. So he's and he, he's only really seen good acting stuff from Entourage, and which he was on. And so he's trying to do Entourage shit, which is just like naming Nicolas Cage's entire entire filmography, which Nick Cage can't even remember because he just doesn't even know if he's acting sometimes. It's like, yeah, man, I, I loved you. And in, 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 in leaving Las Vegas, man, it was, that was cool. And he's was, was like, oh yeah, that's wonderful, that's wonderful. Hey man, I just know, I want you to know, I, I'm, I'm one of the leads in this, but I went out for the part that you're playing. I wanted to be the pimp, but they said I was too high profile for such a small role. <laughs> Pretty sense, like, oh yeah, yeah. It's like, I, I, but I have some of my stuff in my car from what I normally dress up like a pimp. Could I give it to you and give you some liner notes about how to act? <laughs> Yeah, man. Yeah, that would be awesome. <laughs> Fuck. Oh, my God. Oh, I hope that happened. But in any case, that's, that's Frozen Ground. That is absolutely a recommendation for this month. I, I really enjoyed that film. It came out of nowhere. It, there, there's just sometimes when you're searching through stuff and you, you see it. And I, I think the way that this movie was described on whatever streaming service was like, Vanessa Hudgens plays a, a teenage prostitute. Like, was like one of the first lines in this whatever thriller from Scott Walker. And my wife saw it, and she's like, Vanessa Hudgens, what? <laughs> it's a fucking teenage, what? And we're like, what? Well, that's hilarious. What is it? And then, and then when you look closer, you're like, oh my God, there, on the marquee. Is that Nicolas Cage? And when the answer is yes... The answer to the next question which is should we watch this film is also fucking yes every fucking time and so we went and saw it and i, I think if you hunt it down uh you'll enjoy it too the best the, the, one of the next best parts was we didn't even realize that john cusack was in in the movie because we weren't paying enough attention to the uh the initial title credits and then when john cusack showed up i was like well i guess john cusack's the serial killer and, and Sam said, no, you're fucking out of your mind. He's too cute. Because we'd watched a bunch of other John Cusack movies like literally the week before that are like his like pr- premium rom-com John cusack so, so it was a great transition from him being in Serendipity, which is just like the most lightheaded romance movie of all time and uh, Say Anything, which is great to him tying women up uh, to a post in his basement and 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 beating them for peeing themselves which is you know, it's a change it's a change I digress our our <laughs> our uh, lit recommendation for this month is cold heart canyon the 2001 novel from legendary horror author clive barker um, I, I think this was released in 2001, but was written earlier. I, I cannot find the information on that. Uh, the Wikipedia is light. I don't use anything else. So, and that's all inconsequential. I only use that for base facts, which I don't really, really care too, too much about when I'm, when I'm doing these recommendations and discussions. But I do believe when I was reading about this, somewhere else it took him until 2000 2001 2002 to get it published or or something of that degree and he actually wrote it i think in the early 90s the early to mid 90s which kind of makes sense this book has a very strong early mid 90s hollywood feel to it as well as you know it's very referential to like the 1920s um, Golden Age, Silver Age, whatever the hell. When when all the movies were quiet and people didn't talk yet, and and, and everyone was fascinated with Hollywood because it was new money, that stuff. But uh, the main character is a guy named Todd Pickett. He is a aged, getting very close to aging out of his action role star existence in Hollywood. He's very rich. He lives alone in a house. He's kind of a miserable. Drunk piece of shit whenever he's not in movies and he's starting to get a little chubby, starting to get a little old. So he wants to get a facelift. And that's kind of the main premise of the movie. He gets a facelift, or not a facelift, a face peel, which is a different thing. They pour chemicals on you and your skin dies. And then the healing skin is supposed to look fresher and newer than the stuff that was above it. Whatever, I don't, I don't understand how plastic surgery works. All I know is that every time somebody gets plastic surgery on their face, they look like a fucking lizard if it works. And uh, if it doesn't, they look like a cat. Uh, plastic surgery is its own thing. If you get plastic surgery, hey, man, that's all right. No judgments. Be as plastic as you want to be. You Go, go, go out there and get it. The procedure does not work out well for him. <laughs> And it ends up, like, disfiguring him. I think he said he looks like a boiled crab. So he's all, all, oh, he's all fucked up. It eventually heals, but, you know, whatever. He's ugly. So they take him to convalesce in an abandoned house in Coldheart Canyon, an abandoned gigantic mansion owned by a former uh, star of screen and cinema named Katya Lupi, a Hungarian woman who, if alive, should be well over a hundred years old now, and so that is the uh, that is the sort of premise of this. The Cold Heart Canyon era area is wildly haunted, and we find out that this all comes from the coolest device I've ever seen. Like in a book, it's so unique that like I I I find myself drawn to it all the time. I'm very jealous of Clive Barker for thinking of it. So the uh, main MacGuffin, I don't know what you would call it. The the main plot artifact in this is a uh, tubular room that is covered in mosaic tiles, and these are intricately painted. I think they at some point they say how many tiles there are, and it's something like sixty five or one hundred sixty five thousand five hundred twenty one or or whatever it is. It's in the book. Go read it if you want to know how many tiles there are specifically. Every one of them is intricately painted to create a gigantic, over-the-top-of-your-head-and-under-your-feet three-dimensional scene of a hunt. I mean, it's called The Hunt. And uh, there is just all of this stuff going on. And the coolest part about it is, well, not just that it, it has the effect of drawing you in quite literally to the point where uh, the, the stuff starts moving and then you find that you're inside the scene. And... You know, if you're inside of it, bad things can happen and whatnot. But but not just, like, the basic scene of going on. It's kind of like a Hieronymus Bosch painting where there's just tons of shit happening everywhere. So, you know, from the, from the outset, when you look around, you're like, okay, there's clearly, like, a hunt going on. But, you know, inside this forest over here, I can see that there's actually, like, mass executions going on. Like, there's a hanging. And, like, over here, it looks like some woman's being, like, ravished by wild animals and... Out there on the coast, there's a sink, like a pirate ship is sinking and there's like a village on fire over here and all of these like minor, unique details are coalesced into this one big thing that sucks people in. It also has the effect of, as we find out later in the story, making people, um, especially long, long-lived. And I won't, I won't say too much more about that because I really do want people to, to, to read this blind as you can be. Uh, hopefully these details which are all very minor and all within the first 10, 15 pages of the book will, will not ruin anything for you. The novel is most standout in my mind for just not giving a fuck about whatever expectations you had for it. I, I thought it literally presents plot beats that you would, you would expect from a Hollywood movie and just says, no, no. Now we're not going to do that. So, like, they introduce one character. You know what? I'm not even going to tell you about it. But there is a character that is introduced, and you're like, "All right, well, dead." And then, nope, sorry, actual secret, secret, real main character <laughs> the whole time. And uh, there's just it, it blast after blast. You're you're just taken completely aback. What they're going back to the house? What they're going to a party? What the fuck is going on here? Again and again and again and again. And uh, even the, the the softness of reality is, is challenged in this. And there's just some cool Clive Barkerisms. Nobody could ever make this movie, this book, into a movie. That, that, that's what I think I like the most about it. Is a lot of things that I've read where it's like, hey, this is a, it's, a, it's a typical Hollywood story. And they're always really typical hollywood stories in a very true sense because they 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 f- they just feel like they're supposed to actually be movies but instead they're books you know i'm thinking of things like the long goodbye and uh, pretty much anything else by uh, uh elmer elmer leonard am i saying his name right you know uh, get shorty and stuff like that they they just have that that feel to them and uh it is, it is, it is very much, it is Hollywood, even the way that the story's done, where it's always, you know, just sexy enough to almost be too sexy, which is why you always said it in the 1950s or something, because what was too sexy back then isn't too sexy for 1990 or, or 2020. Nowadays, it's, it's you might notice that all the Once Upon a Time in Hollywood type stories are in the 1970s and 1980s, you know instead of the 1950s Because what was, was a little too untoward In the 70s is now like perfectly fine Now oh a lady with armpit hair I've seen that walking down the street <laughs> But look how Look how thrown they are by it These old school These old school types That's the, that's the trick That's why you said it back then So it can seem racy Because that's what, that's what Hollywood is right Hollywood is sex Hollywood is it's sex and violence It's sliminess just beneath the surface Clive Barker's like, nah, they fucking, they are fucking the whole time. They're fucking each other. They're fucking the animals and making disgusting human-animal hybrids. Those things are fucking and creating triple hybrids that die when they're born, screaming and crawling across the ground in bloody heaps. There's hard dicks ejaculating. There's hard dicks ejaculating blood. Everything that has an orifice can have it filled Everything that has flesh can have it rendered. This is the most violent and sexual book that somehow did not is not just like puerile and base and just like okay, I, I get it. You went for it. No, somehow it all works. And like he literally just gently turned like 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 you're having a conversation with him, and he just turns the music up. During the conversation So that you're both Screaming at each other But You didn't realize The moment When When it happened You're the frog Boiling in the pot And And by the time You're, you're to like Peak Cold Heart Canyon You're just so down for it It's like Yes yeah, That That makes sense That is a giant peacock With a dick Just trying to fucking kill One of our main characters By fucking it to death And it's It's fucking amazing It's so good I cannot recommend it enough. I haven't spoiled anything, and it might feel like I have. There's better shit still waiting for you. There's whole characters I didn't name. <laughs> it, is, it is a horror story unlike any I've ever read, and I think really Cold Heart Canyon kind of drives home how perfidious... Stephen King's influence has been on the horror genre to where people don't. I see a lot of, I see a lot of people where I can kind of see Stephen King influence in their work because this is not a Stephen King book at all. This is not, Oh, thing kills thing where it's like, okay. Yeah. The house is, the house is what's dangerous. If we destroy the house, if we destroy thing, we are now safe. Nah, Cold Heart Canyon is deep and fucked up. There is a thing that you would ostensibly consider like the Stephen King plot device, which you can fix. Nope. Nope. No, it's not that. <laughs> and Which is to say, there's nothing wrong with Stephen King stuff. It's just, you know, he wrote all the good Stephen King books already. I don't know if he's really going to make any more new good ones. A lot of the ones that are coming out are pretty much mileage may vary quality. There's not a lot of classics being made, which is, you know, whatever the fuck, man. He, he, writ, he wrote 65 fucking novels and made half a billion dollars, literally but leaves the guy alone. Just let him fade. <laughs> and <laughs> he, Legends never die. They just fade away. Let him go. But his influence is very, very strong. And I see, and it's hard to describe, but I see a lot of his work being repeated in the quote-unquote modern authors that I, I try to read where i'm like okay i know why you made this decision i can i you're wearing your influences on your sleeve so strongly that they're they're really they're really too evident and i hope that i don't do it too much um because i want to i, I want to be i don't want to be the next stephen king i want to be the first tyler bell like what are you fucking serious like duh i know i'm never going to be stephen king why the fuck would i want to be He's already lived his whole life. He's an old man. He had a great run fucking when I was literally not born yet. Good for him. God bless. Clive Barker writes stuff that's completely unlike that. And like I said, it's just like, I wish stuff like this was a little bit more out there, but I think it's because you could never make a movie on this. It would be literally the sex and violence and just the, pure, like it's, it's a very sexual book in a cool way. Like, like, you know, whatever it's, some of it's evil, some of it's not, but uh, it, it doesn't present sex as a thing that is just, oh, uh, it's, it's scary. And it's, it's, it's bad. It's like literally just like, this is the deeper part of the world that you live in. It's just like violence. It's treated the same as violence is in most American novels, which, you know, good people do violence, bad people do violence and Sometimes there's a lot of gray people doing violence between that, and the violence itself and the people that are doing it and why they are doing it is really much more important to the violence and you say that when you try to say that same thing about sex, people get all fucked up. they're like, oh no, you know you know if 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 two good characters are having like whatever or two people that are maybe not even good characters are having beneficial consensual bdsm style sexual relations that's not necessarily a bad thing that doesn't actually inform them as being bad at all that's just something that people do and i i like that aspect of it that they're like everybody sort of has a sexual identity in the book to some degree and it's not painted out as being this is what makes them good or bad it's very interesting and in how effective it is at putting all of this you know sexual content on screen while not really passing any significant value judgments on the nature of sex itself, but rather the kind of whatever that people are doing and why they're doing it. You know what the gratification itself and the greed and the selfishness is much, much more valuable to understanding these relationships than just merely he has done a sex with a bad Now, he is bad, and the sex is a bad. I might be going a little bit too into this, but that's definitely something I noticed about this that is never present in any Stephen King novel that I notice. Uh, Stephen King is a very non-sexual writer. He writes a lot of stuff that is pretty A-OK for teens, as long as you don't mind somebody's head being ripped into pieces and uh, the rest of their body... That is immortal being set on fire and walking into the dark to suffer in pain for all of eternity. You know, something that's way worse than an awkward (laughs) blowjob. But uh, yeah, that's Cold Heart Canyon. I I really can't recommend this enough. Ever since I started giving out recommendations, people have been beating me over the head. Read Cold Heart Canyon. Read Cold Heart Canyon to the point where I thought it couldn't be as good as they thought they, they said it was. I was transfixed by this novel. It's it's a, a a good few days to read it. If you read it at a normal person's pace, I would say this will take you. If you read it my like my wife's pace, my wife reads about you know twenty to thirty pages a night, so it, it'll take you it'll take you a, a couple months. It would probably take her you know. Three or four months to 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 finish it reading at a very casual pace if you're a voracious reader like me and you can't stop reading once something is enjoyable you will uh you'll finish it in about maybe two days, maybe three, especially if you have like a good weekend good 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 spring weekend, go read at the park for a few hours you'll clean it up and uh I could not imagine you won't enjoy the experience if you have a um if you have you know serious content warnings for sexual violence and violence, I'll give you that if you if you have any of that sort of stuff that makes you squeamish. I would still suggest the book because I always suggest trying to face your your issues as a uh, PTSD survivor myself. Um, I have found that it's it's better to in controlled circumstances where you can expect that sort of thing coming to, you know get into it but if, if those are the types of things that make you extraordinarily squeamish i would say page at a time and really really let yourself adapt to those waters before you uh before you try to dive on in and with all that said um time to go into parting words again my name is tyler bell if this is your first time reading anything of the west side fairy tales uh i'm, I'm glad you made it to the end of an of a, of a, of a horror and lit club episode these are our our, our less popular bonus content that comes out irregularly now um, on the uh, on the third third fourth fourth week of every month. Uh, it's supposed to, this was supposed to come out on Friday. It is late because, um, dude, I'm, I was just I've, I was just overworked and the HLC is a, a lower a lower priority for me and I needed to rest. So I am sorry it's a bit late, but it is here. I release stuff on Friday anyway, which is apparently not when people watch, (laughs) not when people listen to podcasts. Apparently folks want podcasts to be dropped on Thursday or Tuesday morning is the best time to do it. So I don't know, maybe I'll change that, but... In any case, it's here now, and it's here for you. If you enjoyed this stuff, if you've read this stuff, if you want to talk about this stuff, please consider joining the Discord. I am, like I said before, we're going to have a link in the description. If this is a few months, few weeks, few days past when that link has expired, just go ahead and search us up on Discord. We shouldn't be too hard to find, and there's there's links everywhere. Go to one of the newer episodes, and you should find it there. If you want to write me directly, WestsideFairytales@gmail.com. side at gmail.com Westside at gmail.com tell me i'm an idiot tell me i'm wrong tell me you agree with everything and i'm cool do whatever if you really want to support this stuff you can always support it by just sharing my opinions sharing my sharing my opinions <laughs> that's what you would be doing if you're sharing the fucking hlc this is nothing but me talking out of my ass for an hour and a half it, share the episodes and uh, and the podcast on social media. Reddit especially helps us grow. And um, if you want to talk to me on social media, if you want to follow us and kind of keep up to date with new releases and news, at WS Fairy Tales on Twitter, Westside Fairy Tales, Facebook, Instagram. There's a link tree for all of those links down below. Join the Discord. And if you want to throw us a little money, consider hopping over to Patreon.com/slash Westside Fairy Tales. If you don't know. That's where a lot of extra bonus content and announcements come up. If you just give a dollar, you get access to that. You're really a part of the family at that point. Any any more than that, and you get access to a lot of behind-the-scenes content, bonus content, EPUB, PDF versions of the weekly, monthly, whatever, stories, and uh more than that, you get merch. We send you stickers, we send you buttons, we give you discounts to the store at WestsidefairyTales.com slash merch. And you know, there's a bunch of stuff. You can get books signed, man. And, and you know, there's gonna be some there's gonna be some cool stuff coming up the second I get a chance to fucking breathe, you know. <laughs> uh, though I, I made a whole map, I think I mentioned at the beginning of this program. Um well, actually I remade it and colored it. Ostensibly, because I want to make a uh, a novelization of Scars in Time that will be available online, so that I can kind of get you know just another, just really just another revenue stream and another notice me Senpai stream. There's probably a lot of people out there reading that would be stunned to find out something like West Side Fairy Tales exists. But hey, man, uh, I my, I don't have a rich dad, and I I, I don't have the the backing of a multi million dollar publishing company. I am one man unable to afford advertising and so i i do rely on you so if you can get out there and spread the word of the west side fairy tales i would appreciate it to death that said tune in next week for the continuation the beginning really of the last half of scars in time chapter 11 that's coming out on friday i hope i'll see you there for the premiere, well, I'm not going to have a premiere, but I hope I hope you just tune in and then tell me about it. I will probably be doing like a premiere listen-along, read-along, watch-along for like the last episode or something. So uh, keep an eye out for that. And again, if you want to know anything about any of that stuff, Discord, Facebook, Twitter, that's where you're going to find out if you want to find out first. And I think with that, we're going to end the program. And until next time, as always, stay safe Something's not quite right in the quiet mountain town of Targrady, West Virginia. Months after a local teen was lynched in the dead of a hot summer night, two men stand charged with murder in what the majority opinion considers to be an open and shut case. But Adelaide Stevenson, a young crime reporter from Charleston, is finding out the smallest cracks in the official narrative run far, far deeper than she could have ever expected. Join Adelaide and West by God as she navigates small-town secrets, the dubious ethics of her own profession and the dark whispers of an ancient creature known to some as the Witchem woman who prowls the shadowed hollers that lie between night and nightmare sent on overnight assignment to cover the start of the trial adelaide quickly realizes the story she's been told and been telling doesn't make sense cryptic assertions of a concrete alibi are emailed to her by the family of the accused nobody in town seems comfortable discussing the basic facts of the case and the murder she's been writing about wasn't the only tragic death this summer. Adelaide extends her stay against the wishes of her editor, and her investigations take a complicated and dangerous turn as she discovers the true depths of the mysteries surrounding Targrady. The only real evidence from the night of the murder may lie in the hands of a notorious local crime family led by an enigmatic woman known as the Fetid Queen. Local authorities seem to grow more hostile by the hour, and even Adelaide's own career might not survive this assignment. Featuring an eclectic cast of characters ranging from violent and horrifying to outlandish and fabulous, West by God is a must-read novel for anybody who enjoys Twin Peaks, Stephen King, and all the creepy places you find just off the path in the woods. It is the debut novel of Tyler Bell, a USMC infantry combat veteran, former crime and courts reporter for the Charleston Daily Mail, and creator of the award-winning Westside Fairy Tales horror and dark fiction podcast. Due for release by Henlo Press in October of 2023. Learn more at westsidefairytales.com slash westbygod.